Hello and welcome to the Point of Care podcast. This episode will focus on GDMT and the pharmacology of heart failure. For more, check out our other heart failure episodes on inpatient diuresis and the management of acute decompensated heart failure. As an introduction to some terminology, guideline-directed medical therapy, or GDMT, for heart failure with reduced ejection fraction targets the pathophysiological mechanisms that contribute to heart failure progression. These therapies, when optimized and used in combination, aim to improve survival, reduce hospitalizations, and improve symptoms in patients with heart failure. GDMT largely focuses on reducing oxygen demand and wall stress via decreasing heart rate and contractility of the heart, or reducing the resistance that the heart needs to pump against. Preload is the volume of blood that's returned to the heart and present at the end of filling. More blood return leads to increased workload of the heart and is commonly present in acute decompensations. Diuretics reduce preload by lowering the total intravascular volume. Nitrates reduce preload by dilating the venous system, which lowers the volume of blood returned to the heart. Afterload is the resistance the heart must overcome to eject blood during systole. Resistance is necessary to maintain adequate blood pressure. However, in heart failure, an increased afterload can cause strain on the heart, further worsening its function. ACE, ARB, and ARNIs reduce afterload via blood pressure reduction through inhibiting vasoconstrictors. Hydralazine is a direct-acting vasodilate. The classes of medications that improve mortality in patients with HEFREF include beta blockers, ACE, ARB, ARNIs, MRAs, and SGLT2 inhibitors. Let's take them one at a time. For beta blockers, these include carvedilol, metoprolol, and bisoprolol. These medications block the effects of excessive sympathetic stimulation, reducing heart rate and myocardial oxygen demand, and can help to prevent arrhythmias. This category of medications has been shown to reduce mortality and is often the first medication started for GDMT. Initiation should start at a low dose, followed by up titration to the target doses studied in clinical trials. Potential side effects include bradycardia, hypotension, fatigue, and exacerbation of asthma or COPD in susceptible individuals. Carvedilol requires twice daily dosing and is non-selective, whereas metoprolol and bisoprolol are once daily and cardioselective. In the hospital, metoprolol tartrate is often dosed Q6 hours to ensure the patient does not have side effects and is then consolidated upon discharge to the once daily dosing of succinate. Angiotensin-converting enzyme or ACE inhibitors include lisinopril and enalapril. Angiotensin receptor blockers or ARBs include losartan and valsartan. These agents inhibit the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, or RAS, reducing afterload and preventing deleterious effects of angiotensin II-mediated remodeling. They should be initiated at low doses and uptitrated to target doses. Watch for renal function and potassium levels due to the risk of hyperkalemia and renal impairment. In case of ACE inhibitor intolerance, which is usually a cough, ARBs can be used as alternatives. Velsartan has been extensively studied in heart failure with clear benefits for mortality. Losartan may not have as robust an effect on outcomes, but has the benefit of being dosed daily, whereas Valsartan is given twice daily since it has a shorter half-life. Sucubitril Valsartan, otherwise known as Entresto, is an ARNI, this combination inhibits neprilysin and blocks RAS. The new medication of interest is Secubitril. It's shown superiority over ACE inhibitors in reducing heart failure hospitalizations and mortality. 
But please note that while Arnie's are clearly recommended in guidelines, some controversy surrounds this medicine, because as of the recording of this episode, there's not been a trial clearly showing a benefit in mortality or hospitalization for Secubitril Valsartan when compared to just Valsartan. We will link off to a tweet with a chart created by Dr. J. Vance, including all RCTs of Secubitril Valsartan. As with ACE ARBs, monitor their blood pressure, their renal function, and potassium levels while on the therapy. The next class is mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists, or MRAs. These include spironolactone and aplerinone. These drugs inhibit the RAS and reduce fibrosis and remodeling. They've shown to reduce mortality in heart failure patients. And one nephrologist I admire shared that, despite there being no direct evidence of this, he believes the mortality benefit of MRAs is due to their ability to prevent hypokalemia, which can lead to dangerous arrhythmias and cardiac arrest. You should start them if there's ongoing symptoms despite max-tolerated ACE-ARB arnies and beta-blockers. You need to monitor the renal function and potassium levels closely due to the risk of hyperkalemia. Spironolactone leads to antagonism of androgen receptors, which can lead to side effects including gynecomastia, menstrual irregularities, and sexual dysfunction. Aplerinone is a newer MRA that is more selective for the mineralocorticoid receptors that leads to fewer endocrine side effects listed above. The next class is sodium glucose cotransporter 2 inhibitors, or SGLT2 inhibitors. These include dipagliflozin and empagliflozin. They work by inhibiting glucose reabsorption in the kidneys, promoting glucose excretion into the urine. These agents, initially used in diabetics, have shown a robust reduction in heart failure hospitalizations and cardiovascular mortality in HEFREF patients, even when they don't have a comorbid diagnosis of diabetes. They also have beneficial effects on renal outcomes. Both drugs seem to have similar efficacy and safety profiles. When you've given it, monitor for signs of volume depletion and genital mycotic infections, and be cautious in patients with a risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. The next medicines include isosorbide dinitrate and hydralazine. These two medicines were initially studied in the 1980s, and together were some of the first medicines to have shown to have a benefit in heart failure. However, nowadays, they're usually considered second-line after other GDMT medications that we've discussed above. Nitrates work by releasing nitric oxide, which is a potent vasodilator, via relaxation of smooth muscle. Together, this leads to decrease in systemic vascular resistance, or SVR, otherwise known as afterload, and reduces venous return to the heart, or preload, which together reduces the workload of the heart. It also dilates the coronary arteries, which increases the supply of blood to heart muscle. Nitrates can lead to headaches, flushing, and reflex tachycardia. Moreover, with long-term use, some patients develop tolerance, reducing their overall effectiveness. Hydralazine is a potent arterial vasodilator, which also leads to decreased SVR. Hydralazine can lead to a rare lupus-like syndrome, which, when used in high doses or for prolonged periods of time. Limitations and downsides of using this class also include BP lability and its dosing schedule of three to four times per day, which can be challenging for patients. Guidelines currently recommend isosorbide dinitrate and hydralazine based on the results of the AHEFT trial, which showed a mortality and hospitalization benefit in African-American patients. However, this is controversial for several reasons. First, the initial trials that showed a possible benefit in a subgroup analysis for African-Americans was run decades ago before beta-blockers and ACE-ARB-ARNIs became the standard of care. There's an excellent commentary after the 2004 trial was published suggesting that the initial trial that showed a benefit in African-Americans 
were patients that were more likely to have hypertension. Thus, treating hypertension in general might be what leads to the improved outcomes regardless of race. Last, utilizing race in treatment decisions and risk scores is something most societies are moving away from due to concerns that their inclusion leads to unequal care. With this uncertainty in mind, in my experience, I've seen these medications used either as adjuvants for further blood pressure and afterload reduction if beta blockers and ACE ARB ARNIs have been maxed out or in patients with advanced CKD given they can be used regardless of creatinine clearance. For non-GDMT medicines that don't improve mortality or outcomes, loop diuretics like furosemide, torsemide, or bumetanide should be discussed next. These agents reduce volume overload and provide symptomatic relief. They reduce symptoms and hospitalizations, but as stated before, do not improve overall mortality. An ideal dose keeps the patient euvolemic, but successful diuresis relies on adapting the dose in real time or taking the medicine PRN based on evidence of weight gain or fluid buildup. This relies on a patient taking daily weights, paying attention to their body and symptoms, and having access to the meds to promote adherence. Frequent monitoring is required to avoid hypokalemia, renal impairment, and dehydration. For a more in-depth discussion, check out our episode dedicated entirely to inpatient diuresis. Next, we'll talk about initiating and titrating GDMT. In general, the goal is to achieve target or maximally tolerated doses of GDMT within three to six months. The use of lower doses of GDMT medicines has been shown to be associated with poorer outcomes. You can change the doses of the meds in the outpatient setting every one to two weeks, and should ideally have at least a telehealth visit every two weeks during this time to be assessing for symptoms, vitals, volume status, and labs. You can start with a beta blocker as long as the patient is not decompensated. If the patient does not have borderline blood pressure or frailty, you can often add an ACE, ARB, or ARNI simultaneously. Be mindful of up-titrating beta blockers when the patients are tachycardic or decompensated as you don't want to mask a compensatory heart rate response. You can start directly with an ARNI, meaning you don't have to start with an ACE or an ARB beforehand, but if you do have an ACE or ARB on board, you need to wait 36 hours for a washout period to avoid angioedema. When starting an ARNI, you may need to go down on the dose of the diuretic given its diuretic potential. In my experience, the most common causes of hypotension in patients initiating GDMT have come when we've gone too fast on uptitrating the patient's ARNI. If there's a decrease in GFR greater than 30% or the development of hyperkalemia, the dose of ACE, ARBs, and ARNIs should be lowered. MRAs can be added before you've achieved a max dose of beta blockers and ACE, ARB, and ARNIs because MRAs are very unlikely to lead to lower blood pressure. You should check a BMP, including a creatinine and a potassium, within one week after starting or changing a dose, then monthly for the first three months, Q3 months for a year, and then every six months. An echo should be repeated three to six months after GDMT has been optimized, or if there's a concern for a change in the patient's clinical status. Next, we'll talk about barriers and other considerations for GDMT. There are many barriers that prevent physicians and patients from achieving target GDMT goals, and here are just a few. The first is polypharmacy and difficulty with adherence. Many heart failure patients are often elderly with multiple comorbidities that require treatment. The high number of medications can lead to confusion, decreased adherence, and increased risk of adverse drug interactions. A patient on the minimum optimum GDMT including carvedilol, Secubitril, Valsartan, Spironolactone, and Dipagliflozin will be taking at least six pills a day, and many patients will be prescribed far more medicines than that. 
The next issue is titration complexity and discontinuation with decompensations. Most of these medicines require careful dose titration and frequent monitoring for side effects and response, which can be logistically challenging. Moreover, many of the medications are either appropriately or inappropriately held when the patients present to the hospital with acute decompensated heart failure, and without good follow-up, some of these medications may not be restarted in a timely manner. There's also a significant amount of uncertainty when it comes to giving these medicines in patients with CKD or AKIs. Physicians likely exercise excessive caution when titrating GDMT due to concerns for renal function. In general, beta blockers, ARBs, nitrates, and hydralazine are acceptable at all levels of renal disease, including end-stage renal disease. MRAs are contraindicated below a GFR of 30. More recent data is showing that SGLT2 inhibitors are likely safe up to end-stage renal disease, though given their recent addition to GDMT, there remains some uncertainty as they're still being studied. Another significant barrier includes cost and access. Some of the newer medicines like Arnie's and SGLT2 inhibitors are very costly and might not be covered by patients' insurance, which pose a significant barrier. Lastly, geriatric patients and those with frailty are likely to have very different risk and benefit ratios. Most of the seminal clinical trials for medicines that are considered to be GDMT have not included elderly patients, and so the risk-benefit ratio of maximizing therapy might be skewed in this population. In general, the goal should remain maximal tolerated GDMT, but you should be mindful that the patient's overall goals and their frailty may instead lead them to have a preference to minimize polypharmacy and reduce the risks of hypotension. Some of the resources that you can use at the point of care for GDMT include the point of care medicine GDMT chart, which includes the agent, class, starting dose, goal max dose, hold parameters, and relevant clinical trials that demonstrated these medicines' efficacies. You can find that at the Point of Care Medicine website at the Acute Decompensated Heart Failure page. Another amazing resource is GDMT for Everyone, which includes graphics on whether agents can be used at different levels of CKD, as well as links to key literature, and an interactive consultation tool where you type in what meds your patient is currently on, as well as some of their key clinical data, and it makes recommendations for which GDMT they should be on. We'll also link off to a tweet that includes a table of all of the Secubitril Valsartan trials published to date as of 2023. We'll also include links to some of the key literature used in this review, including Heart Failure with Reduced Ejection Fraction or Review in JAMA of 2020, and then a systematic review and network meta-analysis of pharmacological treatment of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction published in JACC in 2022. Here, it has an elegant graphic that shows how the hazard ratios with confidence intervals for all-cause mortality improve based on adding each extra GDMT medicine. That's all for this episode. Check out pointofcaremedicine.com to see the templates we discussed, as well as pearls, literature, and links to the other resources.